We'll be reading from Luke 12. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life and what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable you are than birds. Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the wildflowers grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was just like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. For the pagan world runs after all such things, and your Father knows that you need them. But seek His kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourself that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near, no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Hi, my name is Kirsten, um, if we haven't had the privilege to meet, and I'm on the pastoral team here at Living Waters, and it's so good to be with you here today. If you do know me, you probably know that I have three kids. They're seven, nine, and 11. If any of you have parented or in any way overseen several children at once, you know that a lot of your time is spent helping children navigate their relationships with other people especially with each other. I've found that I am often reminding my kids in some shape or form of this simple statement. People matter more than things. Your sister matters more than the size of your cake slice. Your relationship with your brother matters more than getting read that comic book right away. Um, spending time with your family matters more than you getting your own way. Giving your grandma space to sit on the couch is more important than sprawling the entire width to read your book. It's more important that you be kind to me than you get a snack right away. People matter more than things. As my kids get older and are more capable of abstract thought, I actually say this phrase to them. And I find that because of its sheer simplicity, it sticks with me. Sometimes, sometimes it's kind of an inconvenient truth, because uh, I find that I too need to remember that people matter more than things, than my own comfort, than my own way. Sometimes it's merely inconvenient to remember. Other crimes, it's quite hard, actually especially when those things give us a sense of security that we will have enough, that our kids will have what they need, that we will be taken care of in our future or in our times of weakness and vulnerability. Being human can carry with it a lot of worry, a lot of concern that we will have enough. Our world is full of the longing for the things that will keep us comfortable and safe. Our world is full of the fear of what will happen if we don't end up having enough. 
We're currently exploring Luke 12 through a series called Treasure Maps. In this series, we're talking about money because Jesus talked about it. He talked about it quite a bit, actually. Jesus certainly wasn't one to shy away from a topic just because it was difficult or controversial, especially when it's a topic that deals so much with our hearts. Because talking about money isn't really about money. It's about our hearts. It draws out all sorts of questions about our longings and our fears. What's driving us? What gives us confidence and security? It's really a wrestle with whether we're running after the right things. It's about finding the right treasure map to the right treasure, the one that really satisfies and that brings abundant life. When I think about the section in Luke 12 that Janet read just a few moments ago, it's striking to me how applicable the words are today. Isn't this a comforting part of Jesus' teaching to read? It's one of those sections where Jesus' teaching feels like it can relate directly to the worry and anxiety that we find ourselves in. And I think that's because worry just isn't new. Jesus' teaching resonates with us because the people he was talking to in the ancient Near East worried about their day-to-day needs. In fact, they had even more to worry about than many of us do. Jesus' audience were mostly subsistence farmers, peasants, trying to survive under an oppressive government. They were trying to put food on the table and clothes on the backs of their families while enduring poverty and really exorbitant unfair taxation. They weren't worrying about retirement. They were most likely worrying about the next week or the next meal. In that context, it could seem downright ludicrous and perhaps even irresponsible to tell the people not to worry. It feels like Jesus might be giving reckless direction, might be really out to lunch about the real needs of the people around him. Or maybe Jesus' new way of seeing provision was exactly what they, and maybe we, needed to hear. When you start to listen to Jesus, one pattern that you can begin to see is that he cares about things that other people don't care about. And some things we really think are important, he doesn't care about at all. In 2007, I got a new roommate named Carissa, who was American Chinese. I had already set up an apartment and Carissa had moved from a ways away. So she essentially accepted the kitchen and the living room things that I had. A few months after we had been living together, my friend Shauna, who is half Japanese herself, came to stay with me for the weekend. In a moment when I wasn't around, Carissa approached Shauna with a question. She pointed to the rather full basket that I had in the kitchen that was full of whisks and spatulas and pancake flippers and ladles. What are these? She asked Shauna. Completely mystified. After Shauna told me this story, I started to watch Carissa cook, and I realized that my roommate cooked everything with two tools, a rice paddle and chopsticks. 
She had no interest in or use for my vast collection of tools. She had grown up learning how to cook in a different way. Jesus sees us with a different perspective, a deeper perspective, actually, that comes from his understanding as our creator of what it means to be human. Some of the tools, the securities that we cling to, he has little interest in because he knows running after them won't really help us. He knows how to be human in a different way. And he sees the weight that worrying after these securities brings. Jesus is speaking here out of great compassion that he has for us as people and his great desire to lift the heavy load of worry that we carry. So he begins with the audacious, and as Dave said two weeks ago, completely countercultural statement, not to worry about our lives. And then he explains why. He tells us we don't have to worry because we can trust our Father God, because you can see his character when you look at how he cares for the natural world, and his love for us is even greater than the world around us. Dave talked two weeks ago about the clues in Jesus' treasure map, the raven and the wildflowers in the field. Jesus explains that even an unclean bird like a raven is provided for, not because it has barns to stockpile its food, but simply through the graciousness of God. If you remember way back to Luke's sermon on the parable of the rich fool, you might remember that that rich fool was a man who did make himself barns to protect his exorbitant number of crops, his huge harvest. He was not generous. The raven, in contrast, has no barns, but by its nature, it relies on the creator for food, and it's provided for. Jesus then shows the lavishness of God by pointing out that even something as temporary as grass in the field is made beautiful with wildflowers. These two clues point towards the lavish grace and generosity of God poured out day after day, good gifts from the creator to the creation. How much more, Jesus argues, is your creator concerned with feeding and clothing you? The pinnacle of his creation, his children made in his image, chosen and loved. The second reason why we don't have to worry is because our Father knows what we need. I find the end of verse 30 in our text of today, of today for great, of great comfort. And it says, For the pagan world runs after all such things, and your Father knows that you need them. I'm so glad Jesus said this. He knows. He knows that we have needs. Sometimes I think it's difficult for us to remember just how much God understands our modern world, our very human needs. First off, I know it's stating the obvious, but God is smart. I think at times we might take our picture of Jesus wandering around first century Palestine in sandals and a handspun robe, and we might feel like he's a bit out of step with our complicated society. But our complicated modern world isn't too much for them. 
He is not looking at the stock market the way my roommate was looking at my kitchen utensils. He actually gets it. Secondly, God is practical. He's not afraid to get his hands dirty. This is so true that he chose to become one of us, to enter into all of the mess that is in our world. We know that Jesus knows what it's like to be hungry, to be cold, to see the people that we love suffer. So when Jesus says, your father knows that you need them, these necessities of life, he knows what he's talking about. These points might sound obvious, but they're important to emphasize because I think sometimes our imaginations of Jesus can become distorted. And I think they can become quite distorted because of the schism that we've created in our modern world between what's spiritual and what's secular. Our modern world, with its emphasis on secularism, has created a special box for anything related to God. And we've called that box spirituality. This has been one of the most distorting concepts for us and our understanding of how God relates to us and what it means to be a Christian. Because it leads us to label only certain things in our life as spiritual. And the rest? Well, we end up with an underlying feeling that this isn't God's box. When we're dealing with worry about provision, we can end up with two different assumptions. One, that God doesn't really involve himself with something as practical and unspiritual as money. Or two, that God doesn't really involve himself or care about this part of our lives. But neither of these are true because the entire separation between the spiritual and the secular is a lie. And God never has fit in a box. Our provision matters to God because we matter to God. And he's smart enough, practical enough, engaged enough, and certainly loving enough to know what we need. So we don't need to worry because we see evidence of God's character in how he cares for creation. We don't need to worry because our Jesus knows what we need. And we don't need to worry about the essentials of life because being human is about so much more than food and clothes. Life is more than food, Jesus tells us, and the body more than clothes. There's a great little moment in chapter four of the Gospel of John. Jesus has just finished his encounter with the woman at the well. He's just read her mail. He's told her everything about herself and he's shared something about himself with her. He's actually revealed to her that he is the Messiah. Well, the woman runs off to tell everyone about, about him, about who she's met and what he told her. Then enter the disciples, stage left. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then, completely confused as usual, his disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him food? But Jesus isn't talking about food. He's full, but he's full of something else. 
My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Don't you have a saying, it's still four months until harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They're ripe for harvest. Have you ever been full of something else? Have you ever felt full because you saw Jesus do something amazing and you got to be a part of it? Have you ever gotten to be a part of seeing a heart or a body healed, a wrong righted, a broken system restored? I think that Jesus was not interested in this moment, in lunch, because he had seen a life transformed. He had just lived out one of those moments where he was being fully and completely who he was meant to be, and it filled him up. When Jesus tells the people that he's teaching in our passage in Luke that life is more than food and the body more than clothes, he is essentially telling them to look up because to be human is about more than just subsistence. We were meant to be more than the beasts of the field who simply survive. No, we were meant to be creatures who reflect the very image of the Creator. And we were meant to be co-laborers with Him. You'll notice in verse 29 that Jesus tells us not to set our heart on what we will eat or drink. The pagan world, meaning the world that doesn't trust in God, runs after these things. And is it any wonder that they do? The resources of our world are finite, and we need to make sure that we get our share. Otherwise, we will be trampled underfoot by the throngs of desperate people seeking to care for their families, their health, their retirement, their security. Jesus calls us, though, to set our hearts on something different. But seek his kingdom, and all these things will be given to you as well. Before serving here at Living Waters as a pastor, I was a campus pastor, which means that in those 18 years of my life, people, including Living Waters as a church, uh, gave money to support me in my work. Essentially, they gave money to free me up to build Christian community so people could meet Jesus on university campuses like SFU and UBC. That's essentially what Jesus is wanting to do for us. He's wanting us to know that he's got the pragmatics, that we can trust in him. Because he has something worthwhile for us to focus on. And as we get into the last few verses, Jesus gets more clear on what's really worth focusing on. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out. A treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Last week, Leanne talked about how we're not orphans, making our way alone in the world. 
No, we've been adopted, and we are heirs. We have an inheritance. That fits so well with our passage today. We do not need to be afraid because our Father has given us everything. And this means that we can be free, free to give things away to people who really need them, free to invest in the kind of treasure that doesn't work out. It doesn't mean we don't work, but we're actually free to not worry about our provision. We're able to care about the things that Jesus is calling us to care about. Because Jesus looks at us, he looks at our world, and the real treasure, the real treasure that doesn't wear out is people. Made in the image of God, precious beyond any measure to Jesus. C.S. Lewis says that there are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal, and their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. But it is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. People matter more than things. Our money will go, and our comforts will not in the end bring us the deepest kinds of comfort that we long for. In the end, what is satisfying is seeing the goodness of God bringing life and healing to people. Our Father has been pleased to give us the kingdom and to share it, to let it pour out through our lives. I think that we are living in a time when this passage can be a particular kind of anchor for us. I could hazard a guess that for most of us, the world around us feels generally less stable than it has in the past. How will this affect our worry, our posture towards the needy, our capacity to love those around us? When our lives get harder, when our pocketbooks get slimmer, when our future feels less secure, we want to do what the world does. That's what we do naturally. We worry. We want to set our hearts on making sure that we have enough. We want to spend the energy and resources we have to look out for ourselves and the people closest to us. But the thing about this way of life is that it is driven by fear and that the more difficult life gets, the more intense the pressure and the worry and the fear are. The deeper the worry, the more exhausting the struggle, the more overwhelming the fight for fewer and fewer resources. There is no peace. Choosing to trust Jesus in the very moment where things gets difficult Trusting for his provision when you really don't know how things are going to work out. This is the place where intimacy with Jesus really, really begins. This is where we find out that we really have been adopted and that we really do have a father who has given us the kingdom. 
You know, when life is easy and comfortable, Christians don't tend to stand out very much. Complacency isn't our best look as a people. But when hardship comes, we see the difference Jesus makes in a person's life. When the world is falling apart, we see Christians rise up and run towards danger. We see the formerly timid rising up in the love and fullness of the Spirit to follow Jesus, the first responder that Luke talked about on Palm Sunday, following Jesus into danger with generous hearts, released from worry and ready to give what they have. I want the difficulty in my life to make me not more fearful, but more free. One of our church's values is generosity. We talk about it a lot, and we talk about it because it's beautiful. I've always loved that about our church, but let me tell you, seeing it tangibly as I worked in the office over Christmas time was amazing. It came in waves, all the flood relief in the fall, gift bags for homeless women, uh, gift bags for women in prison, hampers for families, gifts for residents of care homes, our generosity giving at the end of the year. I see how our church's community, communal value of generosity builds that in us as a people. And as the needs of the people in our neighborhoods and our world increase, I look forward to seeing what Jesus does in and through our community because our Father has been pleased to give us the kingdom. And as we step out in faith, He's teaching us slowly but surely that He's got us and that people matter more than things.